0: Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. For this first segment, I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. We have just both come to the office and reviewed game tape of uh, Raptors' 106-102 to 102 win over the Chicago Bulls uh, last night in Chicago. Um, yeah, nice win. Nice to see a competitive game. Mostly just like the starting unit and the second unit playing, very little of the third unit. And even when the third unit came in, they actually played a pretty competitive uh, last six minutes uh, as they sort of scrambled to see which team was going to make more mistakes uh, <laughs> to determine the win. But, like we have to start, obviously, with Pascal and Scotty. The two of them both had 22 points each. Both of them looked really great. Um, what were your overall impressions of sort of our top two last night.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty straightforward when those guys were in the game and, and they both got up to around the 30-minute mark, which is nice to see as we progress ahead and look forward to next week. You you know, we kind of, you mentioned the, the rotation. We actually kind of got a look until those last six minutes at what a 10-man rotation might look like functionally, right? Um, until those last six minutes, you know, Pascal, Scotty, OG, they'd all played about 30 of those of, of those, what, 42 minutes to that point, Dennis Schroeder was up around 27, 28. So we, we got to look at, and I found that valuable, just seeing functionally what that might look like. Um, but the, really, yeah, the story in the first, second, and third quarter, but before this thing got turned over to the benches, is Pascal and Scotty Barnes are ready to go, uh, pretty much. You mentioned they had 22 points each. They did that on a combined just 25 field goal attempts, uh, combined just 30 shooting possessions. So uh, very, very efficient a little bit of turnover issue on Pascal Siakam's part. I think that was probably more uh, a crime of trying to make an extra pass here and there when he was cooking. Um, he was really good. And, like, you know, he was 8 of 11 shooting. He was perfect inside the arc and then also got to the line a bunch of times. He, a couple times he got those wide eyes of, oh, Demar's guarding me. I'm going to I'm gonna take this into the paint. <laughs> yeah. um, did a good job, whether it was facing up or, or you know, kind of a shallow post up. Did a really good job getting in the middle and getting feet in the paint. Uh, regardless. So, um, really encouraged by, by that one, the zero assist stands out a little bit, but again, maybe that's just, uh, you know, didn't make the right reads. And they also shot really poorly on threes. So that's part of the, uh, the sis total here, but Pascal looks ready. It doesn't look like he's going to have trouble finding his scoring opportunities in the new offense. We've seen games where he's really good as a distributor. I, I think he's, he's pretty much ready to go at this point. Yeah. Um,
0: I think this is sort of the ideal, um, scenario that Darko spoke about right like you 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 cut out a lot of the more difficult shots like I thought Pascal had a very easy 22 mm-hmm. right um the shots that he was scoring were in transition one-on-one in the post getting all the way to the basket uh where saw you know the pick and pop threes for him as well so when we look at it not only was it efficient but it was efficient because the shots were really easy they came within the offense it's a lot less needing to sort of um, you know, size up a defender, maybe fade away over two guys, um, even just break down multiple defenders. And I thought that there was a good trust with the offense to get him in spots where he could score, but also for him to play within that offense. Um, the turnover issue, he had three, but, I mean, I think they were all pretty much in the first quarter. And A couple of those were just miscommunications. It was just a sloppy first quarter for both teams it was anyway. A, it was a sluggish start for the starters, but I'm really happy because uh, in the fourth quarter, the starters came back in and, well, it was the starters was Gary in place of Yaka Proto. Obviously, Yaka remained sick. And at home, hopefully, he's able to take place in Friday's game. Um, but with Pascal and Scotty, the two of them combined scored 17 straight points mm-hmm. uh, for that unit, and that really put the Raptors up uh, ahead. The other half of that, Scottie and they Barnes, won 17 to eight in those minutes. The right. defense was yes. there as well. Yes, we'll get to the defense too. Yeah. But um, Scotty uh, thought he played pretty much every position f- that you needed uh, from him last night. Saw a lot of him at small ball five. Some of that is the fact that look, the Raptors obviously have a lot of injuries right now. But he's also quite effective when he does that. I thought offensively, um, you know, he was able to move the ball, really distribute, you know, screen, just get guys open shots consistently. And then defensively, especially in that second quarter, I thought his energy was through the roof. He had four steals and two blocks. Uh, by halftime
1: yeah there was a there was a segment in the second quarter where over the course of four straight possessions and I, and I know Stefano posted a, a super cut mm-hmm. of them over the course of four possessions he was the primary guarding Nikola Vucevic and forced a tough shot that he missed then the next time down Zach Levine isoed him up forced to miss um, who, who was it after that I forget the order. Oh, Kobe White mm. forced the turnover off of Kobe White getting up into, into Kobe White's jersey. Right. and then that's, that's the one where he dove on the floor yeah. to save the ball, too. Yeah, yeah to tip ahead, right. uh, the tip ahead dive. And, and then there was a fourth possession where he wasn't technically guarding a different position, but he comes in as the helper yeah. um, from behind the play to make a big block on kind of a scramble sequence. So over the course of four possessions, we saw him guard, point guard, shooting guard, center, and be an impact help defender. Uh, Look, that's not going to be how it looks every single time when when he goes four possessions in a row. But I thought the combination of that and to your point about when he was the small ball five, um, I thought he looked really, really comfortable defending pick and roll as the center. Now, some of that is Andre Drummond is just not the type of guy who's going to be able to take advantage offensively of someone like Scotty Barnes at center. He's not going to, you know, they're not going to run many post-up possessions through Drummond. He's not a you know, the world's best dive man or anything like that. He's he's just kind of a guy who's big at this point mm. uh, and can hit the offensive glass. But I thought in terms of navigating space, using his arms really well, using the length really well in passing lanes, he looked really comfortable guarding pick and rolls, the five, not just kind of this, you know, a lot of times when we think small ball five, we think, oh, they're going to switch everything and it's going to be more about the chaos. thought he looked pretty at home in a in a matchup like that, and I do wonder, as we look ahead to who is the backup center and, you know, what if Precious has an off night or something like that, this is something I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of, at least against backup centers like Drummond, who probably aren't going to be able to take advantage on the offensive end.
0: Yeah, I, I think, honestly, um, it's a role that he succeeded in the past, mm-hmm. and I think there's no need to really pigeonhole him into any specific role, right? And, and I think that, you know, it's natural that we're going to see him sort of play a variety of um, positions. But I think his function in, in, in the positions that he's playing has to be consistent in the sense that he creates opportunities for himself and for his teammates. He moves and plays with a good pace. Uh, he, he plays unselfish. I think all those elements have been there. I thought last night was so impressive. Um, seeing him do that, even just facilitating side-to-side ball movement and and just getting, you know, mismatches in the post and then playing through that mismatch and then making the next pass out. I mean, the Raptors' ball movement overall in, in preseason has been really strong. I, again, this is just preseason, but, you know, those are encouraging signs. And I think it's even starting to benefit other guys. You know, we saw Gary Trent, for example, have a really, really great first half. Second half, a lot, a, a lot uh, colder, but first half, he did a really great job of pairing with Scotty in particular in that small ball five role, and I think the pass of the game was uh, Gary of all people really hmm. dimming up Scotty on on a slip to the basket where Scotty was able to finish, uh, it, you know, through a really really tight window there.
1: Is there a bit of a partnership there, Gary yeah, and Scotty? I think so. First of all, though, I, I disagree. It was the pass of the game because I actually think one that Scotty found Gary for, uh, Gary and Scotty ran pick and roll, and Scotty couldn't get good position. So they kind of shorted it. They swung it over to OG, and then OG got it into Scotty with better post position. And then Scotty threw this great skip pass to the far wing mm, for sorry. a Gary three. I think so, that was first three of the game. Yeah. Either way, though, we're talking about the two best passes of the game were between Scotty and Gary. And yeah. I, I know that this is something that Sam Folk, who's going to be on with us tomorrow, uh, kind of came across when we were talking about, hey, what is this going to look like, more high post action? Is Scotty Barnes going to be potentially involved as the handoff guy, as the kind of, you know, stick a hip out and, and, and hand the ball off and then roll guy? And when you go into last year's footage, they didn't do it a ton, but a pairing that did have some chemistry and some success was Gary and Scotty. We know Scotty loves being in those playmaking situations anyway, and I think Gary's willingness to... Last year, not so much as a passer, but to make a quick decision to come off of that and let go an 18-footer before his man can catch up and things like that. And then if you add that layer of he's looking for those passes now, too, I I think there's real potential for... Look, Gary's going to come off the bench, it sounds like. But the substitution pattern we've seen so far is Scotty's the first starter off unless the center's in foul trouble. You know, kind of hard to get a grip on that with no Jakob the last couple games. But it's been Scotty of the four main starters. He's been the first guy off. And then he comes back in. And at the top of that second quarter, he runs the second unit. Kind of the old Kyle Lowry substitution pattern. And if that's what Darko's going to run with to start the season, I I think Gary and Scotty as a two-man punch is going to be a huge part of the offense for those transitional groups.
0: Yeah, and I think it for Gary in particular, I I find it interesting, even just watching back through the film, like he's not just playing to finish plays. um, He is doing things like he's actually setting screens off the ball. There's definitely a more concerted effort with the passing. We saw another one of those scenarios yesterday where he sort of held the pass. (laughs) Once again, the follow-through, I think he actually set up McDaniels, who I think missed a 3 but it was a good uh, play by Gary, and I think there is just an overall willingness for him to not just like, um, you know, continue doing what he does well, which is the scoring, and that's what he did yesterday. But there's a there's a more of a pace to his game. There's a bit more of a purpose to his game. He's there's more movement uh, in a lot of these sets where he's involved. There's another one where he uh, threw a bounce pass to Chris Boucher, who got to the basket and finished the, on the roll. And you know, Gary at the start of that play sets an off ball screen for Grady to get the ball. Grady tries to work a pick-and-roll with Boucher. That doesn't work. Gary resets out to the top, gets the pass back from Grady. Then he works a pick-and-roll with Boucher. And then as Boucher slips that screen, Gary finds him for the pass. That's more movement and action uh, than we saw in (laughs) most, you know, games last season involving
1: Gary. So... I, I think he's definitely buying into the role and I think it's actually working really well for him. And I think it's an important way when we, we talk about these system changes, we talk about, you know, the culture shift to being less selfish or whatever term you want to throw on it. How you foster buy-in from guys, especially a guy who's been a shoot first guy and a shoot second guy his whole career, like Gary mm-hmm. Trent, is you get these examples early on of if you give the ball up and you make a good pass, like first of all, good assists make the highlight reel too. You know, like yeah, that. those yeah. are, those are good plays. Those are fun plays though. But one thing that the Raptors have done a, a much better job of in these early games than we're used to seeing for that from them. And it's probably more important for Gary than anyone else is once you get off a pass, what are you doing the rest of that position? These relocations where Gary will, you know, engage in one of those dribble handoffs and get off the ball, but then he's still moving. And then all of a sudden he's back open on the other wing where at, at times last year the Raptors could get a little stagnant in terms of, well, let's run the action and then when you're part of the action's done, you're done for the play. You're standing in the corner, you're standing on the wing and maybe that's it. Um, what this is, you know, ideally if this clicks and everyone buys into it, is you're having guys not only do their action, but then what's the next action? Right. How do I make myself not just a distraction for the defense to to free up other guys, but how do I get myself open if this play, you know, if there's five on the clock instead of 10 on the clock and they need a, a pass, you know, h- how am I making sure I'm a guy who's open and I'm not just standing still where a defender knows where to close out on me? And I think Gary's a guy who, you know, last year would have been Fred, the guy who could have benefited most from these relocations. But now it's Gary. If the ball's going to be in his hand a little bit more and we know how effective he is shooting off a movement.
0: Yeah, and this is the next level to to get out of him. I mean, you know, a shooter can only be so good, but you can – Be more involved. You can make yourself a threat. Um, Even when you look at Grady, for example, Grady's come into the league and instantly already has that um, sense and that skill set. He's constantly moving around, constantly throwing little pump fakes, you know, little sudden little back screens. And even though he's not getting the shot every single time, he is creating enough chaos that there's enough sort of confusion around it that other guys can either attack or that he can get open from that. So I think it's nice seeing that from Gary. I think that's the, you know, nice little direction there from Darko to sort of fold that into it. Um, You know, even though we saw some pretty good offense from the starters in the fourth quarter, we saw some pretty good offense from Gary uh, in the first quarter and second quarter, I guess. um, Overall, though, (laughs) half-court offense still wasn't that efficient. I mean, the Raptors only
1: scored 106 points Uh, The half-court numbers look even worse, though. Yes, they certainly do. And I was going to ask when I get to be a wet blanket. If we're doing it about Gary specifically, uh, he's now 0-2 on breakaway dunks in the preseason. Uh, Yeah.
0: Well, he missed uh, another uh, transition opportunity in the fourth quarter as well. Yeah. But, yeah, whatever. whatever. So I don't know why. (laughs) In the (laughs) half-court, How do you explain missing dunks?
1: Those things are – the positives we said are real, right? Like that Scotty Barnes skip pass out of the post happened in the first quarter. That's real. All of this stuff that you you posted – a Twitter video uh, a little bit earlier of some of Gary's playmaking, those things happen. That 18 to 7 or 17 to 8 run, whatever it was at the top of the fourth, that'll happen. If we zoom out, in the half court last night, the Raptors scored 0.71 points per possession. Mm. If you remember back to last mm. year when we all did not like the half court offense, and it was <laughs> it was the worst half court offense in basketball among teams that weren't tanking. They scored okay. 0.95 points per possession. Uh, last night was 0.71. At the for the preseason so far, they're at 0.88. Mm. But that also has a, a game against cans in there, so um, it has not been great. Look, some of this is: are we evaluating these guys based on you know what it looks like when Mogue and Javon Freeman Liberty are, are a big part of this? No. Is there a third stringer filter because the. Uh... There is not for right now because I, I think cleaning the glasses playtime filter would be like, well, all preseasons garbage time, so we're just going to filter it all uh, okay, out. Sure, sure. Um, I, I think, though, what we can say is that it's not there yet, and this is what we expected. This is what we should expect for the first probably half of the season. Even last night, you know, some of this was they shot 9 of 31 on threes, so you, you can't get assists when you make a good pass and someone misses a three, but they had well, they have 19 turnovers to 21 assists. Like, that is not... That's not where the trade-off needs to be for more ball movement and more passing and things like that. That's too far the other way. Um, At the same time, 12 of those 31 threes were wide open. So they just (laughs) really didn't hit their shots. for comparison. uh, The bulls only had seven wide open three point attempts. So um, there was a shooting element. That's a part of this as well, that they're going to have to deal with. There are going to be games when they shoot nine of 31 on threes. They're just not that great a three point shooting team. Uh, But yeah, I think we can say there are encouraging signs in the macro there is still a, a ways to go, and there are going to be some some bumps in the road offensively still, I think. You know, the only thing I would say about the assists, um, well, actually maybe two things. So, number one,
0: the assists were, like, evenly distributed throughout the roster, right? You're like, you look at it, three for OG, three for Scotty, four for Dennis, you know, two for McDaniels, uh, three for Malachi,
1: four for Gary, uh, two for Javon Freeman, Liberty. Like, and an extra one that, I mean, we, we should by now be giving guys assists if it leads to free. I agree. I
0: agree. Um, but I mean, I think what that says really to me is it's like the ball is moving in the sense that it's mm-hmm. not just all concentrated in one guy and that you're only making sort of one type of play. I think the other thing too, is just like, I mean, we can't ignore the fact that the Raptors went to the foul line 38 times yeah. last night.
1: And, and, and no, Jakob so too is a that's factor, gonna right? going to cut down on your like, Yeah, exactly. There were
0: a lot of moments where the Raptors did move the ball well and they just didn't, you know, make the basket, but they got the foul call. And, um, you know, I think for first off, in just this matchup against Chicago, it just reminded me of that playing game. I'm like, oh yeah, we have yeah. way better athletes than Chicago. Just across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: and yeah, the Raptors have like three guys. Bulls fans are still trying to convince himself Patrick Williams can become. Yeah, he's he's yeah. This is
0: he's he he might be Stanley Johnson with like a more consistent three right now.
1: I like the defense fine. I think he could get more out of it, but yeah, the offensive package mm. is uh, he had the, he had
0: a layup to win the game last
1: night. I mean, it was contested. Yeah, but it's a layup. Did he step at a bounce too? Catching a, an outside pass at uh, one I don't point. Know. A little fuzzy on the end of the game. Yeah, I'll be honest. I did not rewatch the last couple minutes of the game I, I, I uh, when we were rewatching in the uh, yeah yeah. Um, by the way, uh, the number one to to give you an idea of how noisy preseason samples are going to be and okay. why you can't take any of this data as a rousing success or a a big failure or anything like that. Um, the Raptors' final preseason game is against Washington. Right? Mm-hmm. They are by far the best half-court defense of the preseason so far, which. Um, I would imagine 100% okay. of 100% of people even in the Washington Wizards organization would say that that's uh that's fake. <laughs> that, that they are the number yeah. one half court defensive in, in How basketball. How many times did they play the cans tie uh. uh a bunch apparently. Um but no, it should be <laughs> should be a decent test at least. It's a team yeah, of sure. a lot of guys fighting for role and fighting for roster spots and things like that. So mm-hmm. um and and hopefully Yacuperto's back, we'll, we'll get another good look at this on Friday. Well, hopefully we they they leave behind one of their, you know, their many point guards. Yeah. Because I do feel like if there were more of a negative
0: takeaway from last night's game, I just thought that the second unit production, uh, both with Thad at backup center and Malachi running backup point, and it's not to say they didn't do anything positive, right? Um, but, I mean, that's, that's, that's as far as I'm willing to go. Like, it, those were the two clear weak spots for me, and I feel like, yeah, if we're going to go 10 deep in the rotation, I like the idea, but the players have to reward the trust of the coaches by coming through and executing. And I just thought that the, both those guys, Thad more defensively, but he had his fair share of turnovers and just sort of miscommunications on offense. Uh and then also Malachi was just like yeah. the decision making on offense. I don't even mind him going 0 for seven.
1: It's the decisions they were not good shots or drives. So and, and I thought I thought he struggled with the closeout minutes. Like I, I thought that that you yep. know, they were up four at the six eleven mark when um Freeman Liberty and Mo Gay came in. So it was those two Grady Dick malachi flynn and Jalen mcdaniels right and you know the ball's running mostly through malachi in that spot and they blew the four point lead before they they pulled it out there and i'm not saying he almost cost them the game but i thought his offensive decision making and just you know poor feel for the pace and urgency and, and i'm not saying he wasn't urgent enough i'm saying he was probably being too urgent and yeah, yeah. maybe forcing a little bit um for a situation where hey couple minutes left third units in Let's protect the lead and let's get into our sets and run some stuff. Uh, it was just a little a little hectic. Um, you know, Javon Freeman-Liberty kind of pulled it out for them. But, yeah, mm. it, it's been, you know, I think Malachi's had one pretty solid game and two kind of ho-hum games at this point. Like, the seven defensive rebounds are nice, but like you pointed out to me off air, like, it's a lot of guys tipping it out away yeah. from Vucer Drummond right. uh, in, in those minutes. So, I don't know, man. They, this felt like it needed to be a really big camp for him, and so far it's just, it's kind of more of the same where like you can certainly see what they like about him and why they're still trying, but he hasn't run with it yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, look, listen, he's going to get this chance regardless. Um, it, but I mean, at the same time, I do think the Raptors do have some other decisions to make. We didn't see Jeff down on the floor last night. I mean, I think the writing is kind of on the wall in that situation. Yeah, that's a at, tough least, one. at least we saw Javon Freeman Liberty and he came mm-hmm. in and, you know, I don't think he was running the game or, uh, you know, playing point the way that Malachi was, but as, as far as, you know, his movement off the ball, decision-making, um, his passing was actually pretty slick. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of him in his limited minutes? Because I already gave him the third star for his performance against Cairns, but that was Cairns. But this, I thought he did really well in his uh, homecoming yesterday as well.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think, I know we don't care that much about the outcome of preseason games, but they lose that game without him in, in those final six minutes. Like, I he, care about any game that's competitive. Yeah, and, and I, actually, I actually thought last night, as far as any preseason game goes, like... Super competitive the starters for both teams playing into the early fourth quarter and, and, you know, even this end of uh, this end of bench stretch, like Malachi, Jalen McDaniels and Grady Dick could be in the Raptors rotation. They're on the floor. It was a Patrick Williams and bench unit on the other side. It's not like the Bulls rolled out the the Windy City Bulls, uh, Javon Freeman, Liberty's old teammates. Um, Look, I think there's something there. I think he's of the guys who are, who don't figure the start the season in the rotation. I think he has very clearly made the most of the opportunities we've seen him in. I've heard good things about the summer and the camp that he's had with them. Uh, if you go back to his college days, he was not a, a full-time point guard, but a guy who averaged, you know, three, sometimes maybe even three and a half assists per game. Windy city last year used him as kind of a secondary handler at times where he was, you know, a, a handful of three and four assists games. So I, I think there's something there, you know, with a guy like this, We've seen this with so many G League guys over the years. Can you hit the three regularly is going to be a big part of this because I don't think the Raptors are ever going to, or the 905 really, you know, have the ball in his hands as a as a lead guard type. So you got to have that juice off the ball. But we've seen so far, he's a good cutter, a smart cutter, opportunistic cutter. Uh, he can slash a little bit if he catches the ball on the perimeter and kind of catches his his defender still still rotating. Um, and yeah, the the passing verve is there on, on top of you know. We'll see where the defense settles in over, you know, 35 minutes in a G League game. But the effort level and intensity is there. So I think, you know, he's he's on a two-way. The Raptors are deeper this year. I don't know what the path is to to any of these two-way guys yeah, playing real right, minutes. Right. But of all those guys further down the roster, he's been the guy who who's made the most and stood out the most, I think.
0: Yeah, no, he he's taken his chances, which I'm, I'm really liking. Um, maybe if we zoom out to the bigger picture... Uh, I know there was more conversation about this on yesterday's broadcast, and I do agree with it. It it feels like the Raptors are a lot more solid defensively in their approach. Obviously, we're talking about game-to-game, especially in preseason. You can't take everything uh, 100% at face value. But at the same time, you can see the Raptors going under more screens than they did a lot of times last season. You saw a lot less overhelping. You saw a lot of hey, we'll live with Zach Levine shooting uh, a, sh- a pull-up jumper over top of a bigger defender with his arm straight up. We'll live with DeMar DeRozan shooting a, a pull-up jumper over OG. And, you know, you saw less helping, less scrambling. We even saw possessions where Chris Boucher in foul trouble was one-on-one against Nick Vucevic five feet mm-hmm. from the basket, and Vuce was able to get a, a few dribbles in before turning, and there was still no help. Now, that's a scenario where I would actually prefer from help <laughs> But regardless, it does feel like a very different approach from last year's defense. Um, What do you think is going into that? And sort of do you feel like this is a more sensible way for the Raptors, which obviously they haven't changed the roster all that much, but is this a more sensible way for them to operate defensively?
1: I like it for right now. I think, you know, if you're trying to rebuild habits and things like that, I think it's probably a little bit easier to start this way Mm. and because, you know, it's going to be a little bit of whiplash for some of these guys of not helping or not having that help or, you know, Boucher versus Vuce is a poor example of this, but let's say... You know, let's say that was OG last year in that spot. Still a mismatch that Chicago is going to go to. Well, your first instinct is probably, okay, well, in this situation, we're always sending aggressive help. So my job is not to stand up Vucevic and get ready to defend the shot. It's to make sure I angle him this way into help that's coming. And I think getting away a little bit from that expectation that there's always going to be help there and help there quickly and help there aggressively, um, you know, that's something that you can, I think with at least the guys who are held over, you can switch that back on later. Okay. In if- a way that I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if you came out and you had everyone still playing aggressive, if you could then later be like, okay, we got to tone it down now because guys get used to that, right? That that becomes your base instinct and that becomes your base defense. I, I like, especially with the personnel they have, like I, I said this with OG when we were doing the OG player preview yesterday, you have a lot of really good individual defenders and a system that look again, Boucher versus Vooch on an Island is not a great example of that, but yeah, Dennis Schroeder against Kobe white. Yeah. Trust Dennis Schroeder to use his length and his quickness um, you know, he had that one possession where where Kobe White kept turning back and forth and was basically spinning like a top in place, trying to trying to find some room. Um, that situation. DeMar against OG. Yeah, DeMar is one of the best ISO scorers in basketball, but OG is one of the best ISO defenders in basketball. Well,
0: OG's been guarding DeMar since he came into the league, first in practice and then as an opponent. Yeah,
1: like trust your guys a little yeah. bit. And, and, you know, obviously this is a team that is going to need the transition offense to score enough. So they're going to have to still be aggressive in some ways. We saw one Pascal went coast to coast with one. He jumped the passing lane. He was, he was yeah. actually the low man as help. And it was a, a cross court pass at the top. And that's a big gamble, right? That's a, sure. if you, yeah. if you miss time, that gamble, that is a straight line to an unprotected paint. And he read that one. And, and so it's important for those guys to still feel empowered to make those reads. But I think as your base defense, everyone over help all the time. I'm glad to see it cooling yeah. off a little bit and getting scale back.
0: It is interesting. Cause, um, Nick used to always say that he liked to play over-aggressive because he always felt like you could dial back aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. And it was harder to switch on aggressiveness. And now we're taking a total different approach, which I I think my overall theory with this is just Darko's brought in to be, like, (laughs) everything different from Nick. Like, just the opposite of everything Nick was doing.
1: I actually, in general, I side with Nick in that. That, like, yes, it is easier to... Start out that way and dial it back. I, what's the, the phrase that uh, Gordy Herbert uses sometime, who we're talking to tomorrow on the show? Um, you'd rather tame a lion than teach a cat how to roar or something like okay. that, like in right. terms That's of in wow. terms of what you right. what's easier to manage and what's easier to coach. However, I think the position the Raptors are in where they have played now several years of that super aggressive style and seen the downfalls of it last year when it goes too far or you're not executing, I think they are in a position where it actually does make sense to, you know, start out a little more conservative. And then, you know, if it's not working or late game or Joel Embiid's going to work in a game that Jakob Pertl's not available or something like that, then you say, yes, hey, remember what you guys used to do? Let's see a little bit more of that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's like it's like having a it's like having a government, you know. Like you just have the the previous party is in, and then the new party gets elected, reverses all the, the legislation, and another party comes in, and they reverse the ones before that. It, it's it kind of feels like that right now. But I do like the direction that Darko's taking. You,
1: you're day. getting the face from Alex right now. He's he's gonna dust off the the only mayor he cares about is John Mayor line again. Oh brother! Yeah. Well, hopefully we hear uh, a couple bars of gravity.
0: Uh, during this break, but we are going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, Alex Wong takes us around the NBA.
2: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show
3: on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue, joined for segment two by co-hosts Blake Murphy and Alex Wong, who is going to take us around the NBA. But before the break, I asked Alex to prepare his favorite John Mayer song for me. So what is that song?
3: Uh, your Body is a Wonderland. But oh, I, I think I classic. think a, a split yes. screen sadness is a really good one as well. Ooh. I don't know how familiar you are with John Mayer's game.
0: I'm not that familiar. I feel like there was like a 2006 we bring like,
3: continuum era where mm. I kind of dropped didn't out. Didn't you have a guitar I wasn't really familiar with your game. You I mean, had a guitar, right? Yes, yes, yes. So didn't you like, you know, play some John Mayer? Uh, yeah, you have to. Yeah, it's this is what of, uh, every person your age went through. Yeah, you know. You, you know have we have a John Mayer consultant right here, right? No, nah, that's, wow. that's not I just mine. typecast. Yeah. Blake. yeah. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's I like, that. like
0: if he forced you to say Nihao for this episode. I rolled
3: yeah. up to Blake <laughs> during the break. I was like, hey, you know Smashing Pumpkins? Just with no context. <laughs> he did. He wanted a Smashing Pumpkins scouting report. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anyways, Mahalo, Will, Nihao, Blake. So,
1: so Blake doesn't get to give his. Come on, Oh, can, oh, get, oh sorry, I don't, sorry. Give sorry. I don't have a John Mayer yeah. take. I'm a, really? a, I'm an electric guitar guy, not a oh. acoustic guitar guy. Oh. Well, first off,
0: John Mayer, give it. Give him respect. Yes. Oh, no, he can Phenomenal He can Guitars. But
1: that's not. That's like. I don't even know what that is. It's, like, a guy who can shoot 40% on threes but only takes it to the rack. Mm. Like, why, mm. why shoot? I can get to the rim. I'm trying
3: to think of the actual NBA player. It was there. him
1: that did Chappelle show, right, where he's, like, oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah, busting yeah. out yeah, the yeah. base. Yeah, all yeah, over yes. the place. Yeah,
3: yes, he was a big, big How presence. How old is
0: John Mayer? If that's the case. If he was on Chappelle, he must be like 50. Or I don't
3: know. It's no laptop Wednesday for Alex today. Oh, 46. So.
0: 46. He's he's 46. Yeah, he's for
3: 46. Okay, yeah. He's only seven years younger. Or older than me. Um. Anyways, <laughs> we're going around the NBA. Was you know, spent the first um, segment just scouring the league for content. Um. Mm. I think we're only gonna be in Philadelphia today, talking about. Let's go. The Sixers. You know, it's our, on- our Phillies, right? <laughs> so, no? Yeah, that's right. Shout out to the Phillies. A.K.A. should have been the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays if they made the playoffs. But, you know, it's hump day, guys. It's Wednesday. Everybody's just trying to get through the work day, including James Harden. Including who you? Is... <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. It's only first week. Boss is still watching. Um, James Harden, a no-show today at 76ers practice. And he has not been present with the team since Sunday. This is coming off a report from uh, our NBA insider friend, Sham Sharania, Mm. yesterday that Harden has not been, obviously people know he hasn't played in any of the preseason games and he's only participated in one team practice scrimmage over 14 days. Jake Fisher reported that Harden is currently in Houston um, at the moment. And there's Again? been, yeah, there's been reports. This is like you know, in Mad Men, when Don Draper has a breakdown and he just like disappears and goes somewhere, becomes yeah, another yeah. person. <laughs> James Harden, when he has a breakdown, when he doesn't want to work, he just goes to well, Houston. You know what? You know what? Don Draper is doing when
0: he's having one of those breakdowns, very um, similar to what James <laughs> Harden is doing. Rarely, right. like, so let's <laughs> oh, just move oh, on. Oh God,
1: um, I saw, I saw someone. I think uh, oh go I want to say it was Rich Hoffman from that new uh, PHLY. Philly Sports Media Group that has like right. Kyle Newbeck and Derek Bodner and everyone mm-hmm. tweet that actually James Harden is just on assignment uh, pre scouting the Houston Astros for the World Series <laughs> I love for the Phillies, so he's right, right. he's a part of the listening for the sound yeah. of
0: uh, trash cans being banged. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: I love that. So I have a few questions for you guys. So it's all it's already been reported that you know the Clippers and the Sixers have you know started talking again, but the Clippers are not interested in offering Terrence Mann and Harden. Per Ramona Shelburne is frustrated that's been no progress on a trade to the Clippers Joel Embiid said at practice just now that Harden probably had something important to do and that something probably came up uh, Nick Nurse Nick Nurse said if James is here we go if he's not we also go and he was surprised he said he was surprised that James is not here so I guess my first question to you guys is can the Sixers afford to have this situation linger on to the start of the season which is next week
0: no not really no, I mean, like, you can kind of tolerate this kind of stuff for now, but when we get into actual games and whether he's going to show up or not, that's going to throw so much into, um, you know, whack in terms of game plans and all that kind of stuff. I know Nick will probably hit us with this classic line, you know, like, you know, when i was back in the G League, I was so used to players coming in Darko and out.
3: Darko hit me with one of those the other day. Oh, for I honor. noticed that. Darko's taking over that G League mantle.
0: Yeah, he's giving you a yeah. uh, uh, Tulsa 66 er story. So he's like, <laughs> you know, sometimes I would have uh, Jeremy Lamb down there and sometimes <laughs> I wouldn't, you know. um, But, no, seriously, like, I think it will be way too much of a distraction for the Sixers. And, like, if all this is just, like, this is, like, the most public holdout for Terrence Mann that we've ever seen. <laughs> it does seem like that's what this thing whole, whole thing hinges on, right? And I feel like the Clippers, the more that Harden uh, makes things awkward, the more leverage that they have. So they're not – I mean, they're probably trying to get away with just giving them Norm and
1: Marcus Morris and uh,
0: maybe a pick or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the move if you're the Clippers, right? Because if yeah, you're the Clippers – you don't have the urgency to get this done until the trade deadline. You can drag this out. Yeah, you yeah. can assume, look, Houston by February is not going to be in a playoff position, let's say. So why would they trade assets for a guy who they can sign in free agency? Are there other teams around the NBA who are going to beat a Norman Powell package, say, for James who who are going to? Put chips in for James Harden ahead of February. The Clippers don't have to make that decision until the trade deadline or until another team ponies up Mm, and says we'll beat the Norman Powell, Marcus Morris and whatever picks we have available package. So there's no urgency for the Clippers. I think you guys are right in terms of the 76ers. You want this resolved as quickly as possible. I, I think the bluff that you called was that James Harden would show up to camp and participate because like we saw with Ben Simmons, you are risking not getting your money. If you don't do that, um, we're now two weeks in and one, what is it, one practice that he's been at? Yep. Yeah. So now you're at risk of, you know, if this extends. I don't think the 76ers would try to make the play of we'll withhold your money until the regular season starts. I just don't think it's worth the PR and, you know, the the battle yeah. with the union side and stuff. I would say here's the date. They don't that want I, to see Garrett Temple. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to go one-on-one with Garrett. Here's the date that it, it gets cut off at is uh, – November 3rd, after they played the Raptors twice in the opening two weeks, then they have to make a move. Until then, we can just see them do this nonsense. Yeah. Um, although I will say that that November 2nd game is a nationally televised game on a Thursday night. Mm. Um, so there is going to be, you know, the 76ers have a lot of nationally televised games, but there are going to be a lot of eyes on this situation early in the season. If, you know, first of all, if he's not playing and then if Philly doesn't get off to the, the, the best of starts here. I love yeah. that James has that uh, clause in his one of those contracts where, it's like twenty five percent of the salary
0: has to be paid, like heading into training camp.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm, smart.
0: So that's already been that's already in the that's man, already in it's, the bag.
3: Show us a Jimbo slice, man. Yeah, he negotiated that nice one. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, my second question for you guys: so Will, like you mentioned, like if say the Sixers um, settle for a package, who would be, who would it be like Norm Powell? Maybe throw in the former phantom of the process, Robert Covington. Like who else? Throw in a coffee, a mere coffee. Yeah, hey, yeah. Go throw ahead, in man. some picks. All this yeah. stuff. If you're Joel and Embiid, bag of beans. so two scenarios here for Joel and B. Number one, they trade Harden and they get this package of role players back. Or number two, they don't trade Harden and you go into a season with this uncertainty. Uh, if you're Joel and B, is there any scenario where you're happy this season?
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Let me hear the sad boy Joel drop,
1: please. <laughs> it's- sad guy Joel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. Uh, that's what I would like to see. I- I'm just Ideally. wondering, is there Ideally.
3: a scenario here? Because like... Daryl Morey, it's been talked about. It's been circulated. Oh, they're going to have maybe two max slots next season. And, you know, this year, maybe it's just going to be a year where they just, like, you know, figure it out. Like, if you're Joel a and, Joel and B, like, the time is ticking. And you've already done this before with Ben Simmons.
0: Yeah, I think, that's, I, I think that's sort of what everyone's waiting for is, like, you've changed the coach. You've changed the co-stars a few times now. Eventually, you've changed the GMs. You've changed, you know, ownership. Or, or not even ownership, but uh, presidents and all that kind of stuff. So, at a certain point, you just have to reach a moment where, you know, these stars eventually, they, they ask out, especially if their situation is not perfect, like a Steph Curry, for example, in Golden State. So, you know, I'm, I, I do wonder how much more appetite Joel has for, for losing in the second round. But, you know, if I had to guess... He's pretty full. if He's been at the second round buffet, now, man. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
3: It's, um, it's tough, man. I'll ask you this too, Blake. You know, on the Clipper side, if they're able to get Harden, how, how do you like that team? In terms of how they stack up in the West, like how do you think that looks?
1: I mean, it's it's better than having the smorgasbord of of role players like James Harden in a playoff environment is someone that is going to free a lot of stuff up for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Having said that, I like the Clippers just fine as long as Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy. Mm. And this is this would be the one argument for the Clippers to get it done earlier is James Harden is the number one get-you-to-the-playoffs guy mm. where you don't have to worry. Like, if he's if you right. have a team that has James Harden on it, you don't really have to worry about, well, if Kawhi misses too many games or Paul George manages or whatever. Um, but everything for the Clippers is going to come down to the health of Kawhi and Paul George in a playoff series. James Harden obviously helps offensively. You can hide him no problem defensively and even use... The fact that he's, like, not a bad post defender and in the lower third of the the floor defender. Um, the other hard part here for the Clippers is, and this is something that, you know, we're going to have to see what kind of season Norman Powell gets out to. If Robert Covington can bring it back or whatever. Under the new, more restrictive rules for teams over the luxury tax apron, you don't get that, like, wiggle room in trade matching. Anymore Mm. either. So you're talking about then, you know, I know you said Powell, Covington and coffee, for example, you also got to throw in, say a bones Highland to make that math work, Mm. or you have to turn a mere coffee and bones Highland into a Plumley or something like that. Um, So it it gets tough here for the Clippers where you're really thinning out your depth, unless, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a scenario plays out where Morris and Covington aren't playing a lot and it doesn't end up mattering, but like Norm's going to be a real piece for them. Norm's going to be one of their, their top bench guys, maybe even a a starter. So, um, it's a tough accounting for them whether James Harden makes them a significantly better
3: playoff team. Yeah, it sounds like you're even saying, like, even without the Terrence Mann piece, like, you're not even that thrilled I, mean, about, I would, about the Clippers acquiring I would do Harden. It. You would do I would do it. it. Yeah. Turning Norman, like, and we all
1: obviously love Norm, turning Norman Powell into James Harden by throwing additional pieces and, say, the the Raptors second round pick in 2024 that the Clippers own, like mm-hmm. you do that deal and you just deal with the depth follow, but they really don't have a lot of flexibility under the new, more restrictive rules for heavy tax teams.
3: Yeah. I like that. It I would know.
1: be hard to like,
3: like even
1: buyout guys. Mm-hmm. Now those teams that are deep into the tax can't get in the mix for certain buyout guys. Like only guys who yeah. had like Chris Paul would not be eligible. Obviously he's not going to get bought out, but if, as an example, if he were to get bought out, is ineligible for the Clippers because yeah. Chris Paul will too never.
3: He will never get bought out, as Brian Windhorst mentioned. He's always retained it's, his Bird rights. He's a Larry
0: Bird rights. He's um, a Larry Bird rights. Yeah. Imagine t- telling someone in 2019 that Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, who all four of those guys were on the All NBA team in 2019, yeah, they'd be on the exact same team, and they wouldn't even be the favorites to come out of that. Conference. Yo, and
3: that's the, the so f- the funny part about those four is like kind of what Blake said. Harden and Westbrook is kind of your, like, get through your first seven innings, like the regular season. Mm. Like, those are the guys i will carry you in the regular season. You're saying they're Jose Barrios? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Who's going to get pulled in the third and inning? And then, then Kawhi man? and Paul George can come through, hopefully, a hopefully in the postseason as a closer. But they yeah. would literally have a big two for a regular season and then lean on their other big two, hopefully. Yeah in the postseason. I mean, the Clippers are my championship pick, so.
1: Okay. That's the thing. If they get, like, whether no, they, they make you know this what? trade they, or not. They need to, it, they need to trade for
0: Alec McEachney. <laughs> otherwise, they're not getting to the, the, the finals.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. The NBA would have you believe that load management
3: is is done now. It,
1: That's it's no, science man. doesn't we back it up. You talk to
3: Adam Silverman. What has he done the last seven
1: years? Anyways. Anyway, sorry. My yes, point was yes, not so that one. trading for James Harden wouldn't make you better. It's just that no, no. in the new environment especially, and yeah. given the salaries, that, it's, it's a complicated, and, and the Clippers are probably going to have to line up secondary deals to make Make Sure, that yeah, you make know, make they're not, work, yeah, they're the not a work. four player team,
3: yeah. No, I like that. Uh, another news, uh, news related to this, uh, Will, since you're, uh, you know, the sneakerhead of this group, absolutely. News is just coming in that Joel Embiid is close to agreeing to a sponsorship deal with Skechers, yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Um, so what's going on? Skechers is joining the market, I guess. So Skechers has been because Julius Randall was spotted in preseason also wearing a pair of Skechers as well. <laughs> being spotted, yo, big famous is wild, man. Just let them. Okay, his to Skechers be clear, okay, days. okay. He was spotted wearing <laughs> Skechers like this is like a crime or something. I misworded this. He was spotted literally taking photos at media day like uh, in Skechers. Okay, it wasn't Skechers, like gotcha, it wasn't gotcha. like he was on like 55th Street. They're like grabbing go, a hot dog. He had the bodega, they're like, yo, he in here is sketchy. Yeah, so so for all the yeah. Joel Embiid Under Armour fans, he is uh, he is switching teams. I mean,
0: it's a comfortable shoe, I guess, if they want to get into the <laughs> basketball market. They must be spending a lot of money on
1: this. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is my analysis. Next sorry. up, uh, yeah, thank the, you. Yeah. Oh, I have something on this. Oh, so you got some sketchers.
3: Oh, sketchers so, Ke- consultant. Well, it's Blake not
1: sketchers, but if you remember back to the very first year of Raptors nine hundred five, you guys are obviously intimately familiar with Ronald Roberts Jr., who was on that team.
3: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah.
1: Six foot nine guy, big rebounder. Anyway, mm. he was. <laughs> oh man, the he Raptors was, really have a ton. Yeah, uh, he was oh, a big well. skateboarder. And I talked to him about it, and and it actually made its way into a piece at one point. One of his career goals before his knees kind of deteriorated and, you know, he became like a successful Euro and South America player, but not NBA. He wanted to be the first NBA player to have a Vans shoe deal and play in Vans, which I think would would be pretty cool. Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter in Vans. Earlier That's this year, right. for the after he switched teams, right? Yeah, yeah, with the Phillies. So do our we'll, Phillies. You don't know
3: your baseball,
1: will? So, so uh, we got a coaching
0: staff in the NBA that wears only Vans is uh, Sacramento Kings. Yeah, Mike Brown yeah, yeah. and crew.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I'm saying we got to get there with a with a player. The Skechers cool, yeah. but I need to see like a chunky skate shoe on a on Yo, a basketball player. One of
3: these times when you reference a 905 player. <laughs> I want you to legit make a name up and see <laughs> yeah, if yeah, either yeah. of us. Could I've, I've, I've mm-hmm. done
1: that on on Twitter before. <laughs> I think the name I made up one time was like I was tweeting about nine hundred five guys or, or summer league or yeah. something like that, and I snuck the name Flex Christmas in. Okay, And just like yeah, yeah that's so
0: close to Rakeem that's- Christmas, which also <laughs> sounds fake. This
1: is the thing is like Christmas is a real last name, and uh-huh. like there's oh, got to yeah. be a guy out there named Flex, and like yeah. I don't know, a couple people caught it, but it was like mostly just like
3: skated by. Bro, we're putting the over under. You got to you got to sneak past two and a half. Over. Over okay. two and a half fake Once names on us yeah, yeah, yeah. this Did season. Did I pronounce his name right?
1: <laughs> when, when we do... Uh, we'll do Goddamn 905 it, season, pre- season preview stuff uh, when that gets going oh, in, that's in gonna be, november That's another. going to be so uh, fun. Yeah. Load right, you know what, I'm going to let you
3: guys pick, man. You guys want to talk about Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, or uh, the death of NBA jersey designs? Uh, One of you guys. If
1: that last one's about the awful Clippers jersey... Uh, it, I know it it's is. hard to do without a visual, no, let's, but it's let's, real
3: bad. Let's stick, let's stick with the Clippers, as we talked about. So there's all these leaks around uh, around this time of the year when the City Edition jerseys, which is the new jerseys that every team puts out, year to year comes out, and, like, the Clippers one looked terrible. I think I saw a Chicago Bulls one. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. These look like this was just created by, like, I don't know, man. Like, just no disrespect to equipment managers, but just equipment managers being like, <laughs> yo, just write Chicago on it. There's also – there's an issue that I
1: noticed at the Bulls game yesterday. So at the Raptors preseason game on the weekend, I thought maybe this was just a Raptors thing and they came out with less inspired gear this year. A lot of the team stuff just says – Toronto, Raptors, basketball, just text. Yeah, no well, logo or anything like that. Yeah. But we saw yesterday the Chicago Bulls. There were a bunch of people wearing that as well. And, like, mm. people in the crowd, like, has the NBA or Nike or whoever it is just been like, ah, eh, this is a text-only season? Like, that Clippers jersey is basically just,
3: like, someone it's, hit italic It just says spawn. Clips. No, it's it's It says tough. Clips. And not mean, even
0: Clips, like, you know, like we're talking Pusha. Like, this is just <laughs> Clips. <laughs> we don't
3: talk Pusha yeah. anymore. Oh okay. to Drake. All right. Um, the yeah, boy. I'm trying to protect my relationships with Nike, but come on, what are you guys doing, Nike? No, I, like, I, like ever since Nike took over, started yeah. designing these jerseys. Like, how many jerseys can you guys name to me that have been good? Like, we talking about like the Miami Vice jerseys, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, sure. That's about it. Like anything else? Jump off the top of head. The Cherry Blossom Wizards ones yeah, I thought were yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, a, I didn't mind some of the Utah ones. Okay. Okay. The, the, okay. Great, the sunset know, gradient one. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I, yeah. I,
1: I I like that one. Okay, let's um, go with that one. Yeah, I mean the Thunder
3: one is no. okay. No, they look like they were designed by Sam Presti while he was trying to get two second round picks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I like
1: definitely I like dark blue and orange <laughs> as a color scheme. Is the okay? Is so the you like issue. the color
3: scheme? Okay, I like yeah. That. I mean, even, the, even thinking this year, the Orlando Magic put out a really cool campaign with their throwback like '90s mm-hmm. Orlando Magic pinstripes. jerseys. Yeah, pinstripes, all that stuff. But outside of that, like how excited have people been? Like we saw Dennis Schroeder accidentally leak the City yeah. Edition In jersey the, possibly the on media day. Yeah. Right. And I don't think people were super excited about that. So
0: I think the issue across two sports at least, the two sports that I watch are basketball and soccer. Mm. And obviously there's a lot of uh, kits that are outfitted by Nike. And they're just so plain. Like the Chelsea kit is just a pure blue kit with the badge and then the sponsor. Mm. The Liverpool kit is a pure red kit with just a the the... Hey, the green the green
3: alternate is nice though. Come on,
0: I mean they're all just like
3: I, I get very, what you're saying. Very I get as, what you're as saying. basic get as what you're possible, saying.
0: and I think it it is something where I think you know over time you do lose a little bit of that individuality that you you associate with each team. Like for example, the Raptors. You know when when we started out, you know when I was reading prehistoric and, and thinking about all the ways that uh you know the the graphic design went into that iconic Raptors logo, the original one. There's so much creativity, so much character, so much. Um, distinctive features that mm-hmm. like this jersey is not like any other jersey in the team that's yeah. how it should be You're, the point of wearing a jersey is to distinguish yourself yes. as from being from that place and you, when you make all these
1: uniform like as uniform as possible no, they literally feel uniform look yeah. at look at the cans jersey yeah. from from the other day that, no, kind, of, tell, that kind of cool, or, like, telling cool darker orange with yeah. the, the kind of like snake skin yeah, texture yeah, yeah. to right, it right, when right. you got up
3: close to it or like even the logo s- or yeah. Even their logo,
1: yeah. I right. mean, if you go back and watch like old Jokic clips or something like that, he, he played for a team called Megalekis that is like, yeah, bright Megalex, pink yeah. and the and mm. the like neon, it's like a watermelon kind of thing, yeah. 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 And it's like, they actually are like very protective. Apparently, you can't even buy these jerseys. What? Um, they, they, yeah, like I've had people in Europe and I'm like, you're trying like, to buy a Megalex jersey, yeah, they're very cool. <laughs>
3: No, I respect that. But uh, yeah. No, but I think I need it's an
1: like. I want to learn so much about you. you want another 905? Another I want an Axel Tupon <laughs> nah, pun
3: Is that you made a made member that of the Smashing pumpkins? pumpkins? What's going on? Yeah. We're, uh, just we're just kidding. going.
1: Shout out to Alex. We're going. You know, axel Tupon. No, I Full think. Circle.
3: I think the jerseys, like you guys say, it's like everybody's just playing it too safe now, right? Like you think about, like Blake, too. Like, you know, like minor league baseball, like all these different leagues, like you think about in the 90s, 2000s. There just used to be so much creativity. I just don't get why we're playing it safe now. And like. Do kids actually want these jerseys? Like, you know, know. growing up, used you used to look you're at 39. This...
4: <laughs> so... <laughs>
3: God damn it. Why are, why are you asking? God damn it. I almost made question. it through the whole segment without this. Why are Do you kids... asking about hey, kids? Hey, kids watching out there, let us know. Yeah, text your, nep- if, if you you're text actually, your little nephews. If you're actually excited about these jerseys. Uh, finally, just a last piece for you guys. Uh, keeping on with Kyrie Irving in Dallas here. Um, he told reporters that he's aiming to step up as a leader for the Mavericks this season. He said, quote, for me, the accolades, success, and the businesses are incredible. But I'm here to lead these guys in a different way that they have never been led before. Mm. What do you think the Kyrie Irving leadership trade is? The approach? Uh,
0: honestly, like,
3: I, I think it is definitely very useless, slander Kyrie.
0: Mm. Um, but I do think that someone has to step up as a leader for the Mavs. I just don't feel like Luka <laughs> really has that overwhelming desire.
3: Grant Williams, maybe? Th- that's what I'm saying. I mean, Championship office- experience.
0: Championship what experience? Championship, in the championship? Five, Yo, losing, championship
3: experience only counts if you win, man. Losing in the
1: finals no, experience. that does not count. Oh, my God. <sighs> yeah, no. Yeah, the first, like, don't don't listen to Jason Kidd. Don't worry about it. Listen to me instead. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess we can't really call it around the NBA if we're covering Kyrie, too. That's the Ooh. other problem. So <laughs> what what is actually the other name for it? Uh-huh. Across. Across, across the yeah, across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. it's like across the universe. All right, it feels like we're falling off the end of the end of the earth right now. Yeah. All
0: right, we got we had enough time to talk about this very spicy Calvin Booth we conversation. Have time tomorrow, we have time
3: every day. Let's do so, that. Let's do that tomorrow. Yeah, we have time for that uh, all I like the time. This one a lot. Yeah, but, Blake, uh, Blake and I are bowing out. We got jo- Joseph Kasharo, Joe Wolfon joining us in the second hour. All right, so
0: we are going to take that break. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, Eastern Conference tier.
2: Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host Wayne Lou. For hour two, we are joined by the Pounder Rock Boys, Joe Wolfond and Joseph Gosharo from the Score. Um, we are playing Pitbull right now. I know this is not going to be heard in the podcast feed, and you guys don't have headphones right now, but we are playing Pitbull. Uh, I was requested by producer Alex. And <laughs> Enrique and Shout, and List.
2: Shout uh, out to the Trilogy Tour tonight in Toronto.
0: <laughs> yeah, you will be there. You will be there no matter what. What's going on, guys? How you guys doing, man?
2: Much, man. Happy New Year. Happy New Basketball Year.
0: Okay. Yeah, damn. Nice. I like that. Um, so I wanted to touch... On two things. Number one, I was listening to uh, the episode you guys just dropped on Pound the Rock, um, you know, about sort of the 2023-2024 NBA season in terms of which players could swing the season. I'm um, very surprised that you guys started with Jordan Poole. I didn't think that was going to swing too much. But, I, I mean, listen, we'll, 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 we'll get to that, I think, more in segment two. I would actually like to focus on which players on the Raptors could swing this season for, for us. But I think I wanted to start with just um, the Eastern Conference tier, sort of where the Raptors sort of um, – Stack up. I mean, after seeing the Raptors go 3 and 0 in preseason so far, you know, I, I'm sorry. Starting... 2 and
2: 0 against the NBA.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah fine, fine, fine. 3 and 0 against just professional basketball, all right, in general. Um, you know, I'm starting to, you know, feel a little optimistic. I, I like what Darko's doing with the group. Uh, Wolfhunt's eyebrows are already cocked. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it's where the we... hope that
4: kills you, Will.
0: Uh, that's what last season was about. This year, it's different, um, maybe. But yeah, we... let's go through some Eastern Conference tiers. Um, Wolfhunt, I know you made some, but. Um, I'm the host, so <laughs> I just I have them already. So you're good. Let's go. Let's start. As long
4: with- as I can rebut where I see. Fit. No, no, no.
0: Here's the thing. I, I actually did it in one of those tier maker things. I don't know if you guys see those kind of you know YouTube content. I know you, Cash, you're huge on YouTube at the score now. Um, actually, both of you are huge on YouTube at the score now. But like, just well. the tier maker kind of list making things. You know, you can slide teams around and stuff like that. So I actually did that. So in my S tier, where in this case I called it the seven-game Eastern Conference Finals pleased here is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. They're clear cut above the rest of the East for me. Um, is there any pushback on that front? And if there is one team that is slightly above the other, um, Cash, I'd love to start with you.
2: First of all, no. It, no other team is in that tier. It's, those are the two teams that should – be on a collision course from, yeah. you know, when the season starts until May, I guess, when the Eastern Conference Finals will be. Obviously, things can... I need a numb
0: encore of these two.
2: What's that? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there obviously, things could derail it. There could be injuries, or whatever, you know, other roster movement around the league. But for the most part, these two teams are so head and shoulders above the rest of the East. And it's just, like, whether you look at top-end talent, and first of all, I think Milwaukee is a little ahead of Boston. I think... Okay. I just think that... That top two, that big two of Giannis and Dame is as perfect and as seamless and as balanced a top two as exists in the league. I just think they complement each other so well. I think obviously Dame's shot creating, shot creation, and shooting and range and all of the things that he does just unlocks that offense in so many ways. And Wolf and I have talked about this too. Like over the last few years, even the year they won the title, the one thing that could have or did derail the Bucks come the postseason was their lack of shot creation, that stagnant kind of in-the-mud offense. You know what unlocks that? One of literally the greatest offensive players of all time. And when you combine the things Dame does with Giannis being this like battering ram of an offensive in- engine, when you combine what Giannis does defensively and obviously with Giannis and Brooke Lopez as the protectors in Milwaukee to kind of protect Dame and, and his defensive shortcomings... I just think everything meshes so well. I think they're the team to beat. But Boston, you know, they're almost trying to build like the Bucks killers with mm. Drew joining the team now. They've got Drew and White. They've got arguably the best defensive backcourt in basketball. They can make sure one of those guys is always on the court and always on Dame. Um Tatum I was say, obviously. Last
0: time Drew played Dame in a playoff series, you, very different context, tw- but
2: 2018 and Dame came out of that series. And you can find him talking about this on various podcasts and stuff. Dame came out of that series being like, yeah, Drew Holiday's the best perimeter defender in the league, and it's not close. Right, and so also I, trade
0: me to the Miami Heat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which you didn't get. I've I, I, I heard, heard those. Boston is
2: close. Like, I do think it's neck and neck. Boston's close. I think, you know, withdrew there defensively with what Derek White brings. Obviously, Tatum, even Brown, you know, say what we say about him. That he's still an elite player despite his shortcomings. Porzingis, if he's healthy, giving them kind of a different dimension to their offense with the inside-out game that they have now. I think depth is a little bit more of an issue for Boston than it is Milwaukee. Could be an issue for both of them. But, yeah, yeah. I, I just think these two teams are so far ahead of the pack. And I would give the slight edge to Milwaukee because I think their top two is a little better.
0: Is there is there an Achilles heel with either of these two teams,
4: on? Yeah, perimeter defense for Milwaukee. Like, how much can Giannis and Brooke cover for on their own, basically? Okay. One of those guys is 35, and, I mean, I he, he looks great. Like, he's looked good in the preseason. He had maybe his best season in the NBA last year, so maybe yeah. it's foolish to doubt him, but... That's a lot to ask of those two guys to cover for, you know, not only Dame at the point of attack, but, like, and Milwaukee's, like, not super strong on the wing. So they still don't have a guy to guard Jimmy Butler, is what you're telling me? Absolutely not. I mean... Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perennial issue that you think they would fix at some point.
4: Well, but, like, also, they had theoretically one of the best guys to guard Jimmy Butler, and it didn't matter. So I can also understand them saying, well, we threw, like, Drew Holiday at him, and it made no difference. We might as well just make our offense unstoppable. And I think, ultimately... If you're trying to build out a defensive floor, you'd rather be flimsy at the point of attack than on the interior. Mm -hmm. Like I think, especially when like it's one thing to be like a strong interior defense, and it's another to have like two of like I don't know the four best interior defenders in basketball right now. So I I I do think the perimeter defense could be an issue. I think they're going to have to change how they play defense. Like I don't think the deep drop scheme really works that well with dame at the point of attack so i think we might see them mix that up a little bit like maybe have their guys playing a little bit closer to the level of the screen um I think, like, they've even talked about maybe trying to get more aggressive, force more turnovers, and just – it might look a little bit different than it's looked in the past, but – Adrian Griffin got a little of that Nick Nurse DNA. Yeah, there you go. You
2: know, a question well, – But he he was, like, helping design that defense. He was. Right? That's Not right. He, he got, probably, got yeah. a lot of credit for well, that. Yeah. A question I have – I know it's your show, Will, but I'm going to ask you a question. Because no, this on. is a question I floated to Wolf on a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this when they acquired Dame, and obviously the defensive downgrade from Drew to Dame, is I threw it out there, like, look, is this finally the year because of the lack of defensive options on the perimeter – where the Bucks say to Giannis, okay, we're yeah. gonna need you. Giannis, you gotta come outside. No, uh, well, Wolf on's <laughs> yeah. counter to that was he actually thought it's the opposite that yeah. because they Yes, yeah, you'd actually now need that roving help protection more than ever. I, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think they now will and or need him to to do the kind of more one on one defensive thing? Hey, we need you on the best perimeter player or the best opposing player one on one for stretches? Or are you kind of more team Wolf on where it's like, no, they, they, they need his help more than ever now as opposed to one-on-one stuff.
0: I think they shouldn't ruin their whole base defense or change their whole base defense um, to accommodate something that they can make an in-season trade for. And I know that they've exhausted pretty much all their assets at this point. But, you know, honestly, I, I have to hand it to uh, John Horst, their GM. They, he's done a great job of pulling out these trades even when it feels like he doesn't have that much. Um, we just saw that, obviously, with Dame, right? And so I think that if they're able to get a 3-and-D guy, it doesn't even have to be a top tier. It doesn't have to be an O.J. Anobi. If they had an O.J. Anobi, this team's winning the championship yeah. probably No, but two, look what, look what P.J. Row. Tucker but did for them. That's what I'm saying. championship season, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Even if they got, like, a Tory Craig, for example, I feel like, would really yeah. just go a long way for this he,
2: group. I'm pretty sure he was in the P.J. Tucker trade.
0: <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you, okay, well, get, get him back.
2: Yeah. You mentioned uh, Shout Out John Horse, and it's true, man. Like uh, Again, another thing I mentioned on Pound the Rock a couple weeks ago, but like, if you look at what he's done with what a lot of people thought were limited assets, especially yeah, after the sure. Drew trade, but in, in totality— of 30-year-olds, and somehow it, they added Dame. Dude, if you yeah. look at in totality, you could look yeah. at this as going back to the Drew trade, yeah. they traded basically control— of every first rounder from 2023 to 2030 in order to win a championship and then get Dame Lillard. And yeah. that is a trade you make eight times a week. Yeah. and Three times on Sunday, well, twice on Sunday, I guess. But, like, it's just, that's what you, because yeah. banners hang forever. Yeah. And yeah. no team is now better positioned to hang another one.
0: Maybe this time John will actually deserve the executive of the year he wins ex- instead of <laughs> 2019 for winning it, uh, for swapping, I think, four picks for Nikola Um Okay, tier two I have here in the A-plus tier, which I've called just Heat Culture. It is just the Miami Heat. I have them above the rest of the teams in wow. the conference. And I know that, uh, Cash, you are obviously, you know, just huge on Heat Culture. I know what Pat Riley means to you spiritually. <laughs> okay. So I'll He's an go.
2: honorary on.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, especially after getting, um, you know, the, 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 well, who, was, who was acting by, uh, in the show?
2: Oh, Adrian time? Brody played him in the show.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, is Adrian Brody Italian? I don't he, think so. He plays a lot of Italian characters. Yeah, I don't think so. he is. Okay, he might be a out. cosplayer. Uh, anyway, so we're going to go past you just because you're already in on the Heat. Wolf, on, you're more the the, the you know, the voice of reason. Um, should Heat Culture be, you know, above the rest of the
4: Eastern Conference? especially after they didn't really do that much in the offseason? Uh, no. Uh, I, I Look, I can't help but have a healthy respect for what that team is when the calendar flips to April. Like, yeah. something changes. I don't know how it happens or why, but it's pretty much undeniable at this point. They're yeah. a postseason juggernaut. So I get that, but... Man, I don't know. Like, they, they lose two... Obviously, they didn't have hero for the playoff run last year, right? Nope. So, maybe having a healthy hero this time around makes up for losing Struess and Vincent. But, like, man, it, it took a lot for them to make the finals last year. In terms okay. of, like, the three-point shooting that kind of came out of nowhere after they were 27th in three-point percentage during the regular season. Yeah, 25th in offensive rating. Like, they were the first... I think they were the the first team that was even below, like, a five seed to make the finals in 24 years or something like Probably that. Probably since the
0: Knicks. Yes. Yeah, and so I think even, minute. even like, when they
4: made the finals in the bubble, they were, like, they were the five seed, yeah. and that was, like, the first time that I think a five seed had made the finals. That's in what I'm saying. They 10... don't
0: adhere to the rules of basketball,
4: okay? <laughs> but so, I get, I, it get all I get all that. They're just there But, like, so yeah. you lose you lose two starters from the team that went to the finals, and, like, required all of these things to kind of break their way for that to happen. And I'm not taking anything away from how they accomplished it. It was very impressive. But, like, Giannis gets hurt in the first round. They get, I think, a pretty favorable matchup against the Knicks in the second round. Yeah. You just couldn't score on them at all. Get red hot from three again against the Celtics in the conference finals. And they barely get by there. Barely get by. Uh, and, you know, the Celtics, I mean, look, they, they played a part in – that. I think that the the Heat played really well in that series. I'm just saying like it took a lot for them to go on that kind of run as it was and then they lose two guys who I think were pretty essential to that and especially just on the shooting front, right? Like, yeah, I know they went on that run in the playoffs, but they were 27 three-point percentage during the regular season and they lose two guys who collectively gave them 12 three-point attempts a game last Mm -hmm. year and didn't really take steps to address that and it's just For me, I look at it, and I know they've found ways to scheme around it year after year after year, but, like, I look at what they're up against in the East, and the lack of... Like, outside of Jimmy and Bam, who are great two-way players, but also don't space the floor, it's, like, it's just all one-way players. It's guys who provide shooting for them, or it's guys who provide defense, and no guys who provide both.
2: Yeah, uh, and also... This might shock you, Will, and anyone who listens to our podcast regularly. But I'm actually out on the heat this year too, and it's not that I'm, you know, out on heat culture because I do believe unbelievable. I do you believe all people. If, if they get you there, all they, of course they're a threat. And and you know, I've been one of the people the last few years who's saying, like, to me, it's not all that confusing of like why they do it. It's they have a guy in Jimmy Butler who is as proven as almost any player in terms of being like a postseason superstar, two way yep. player. Yep. They have a really good foundational defense. And they've got probably the best coach, best tactician in the league. And if you take those things into the April to June gauntlet that is the playoffs, you have a chance. So I've never really – I get the part of like, you know, how do they just turn on the shooting every year? Like, that's going to be some luck. I get all that. But for the most part, I've never really been that confused or like, how are they doing this when they do it in the playoffs every year? So if they get there, I'm acknowledging, of course, they're still dangerous. but. This is the year I'm out on them as even really being much of a threat because I just like even just to survive that 82 game slog like they were a playing team last year and I think they're worse this year. Okay, and so they they are probably going to have to go that route again. I don't see them getting in through the top six like surviving the 82 game season like that. So if you ask me in April, Mm -hmm. once they're actually maybe in the tournament, I'd say of course I give them a chance. But if you ask me in October and they still got to get there six months from now. I'm not I'm not sold on them this year. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing a uh, couple
0: people who don't believe in Haywood Highsmith. <laughs> I'm hearing hey, some people who Jamal don't in Jamal this, Cain this in preseason. This is yeah. what Miami does. I feel like they might be even... Kola Jovich? There's a little bit better of a defensive ceiling that they have with this group now. Offensively, obviously, Caleb Martin just needs to continue to be what he was, which was amazing. Um, and I, the reason I have He heat culture in their own tier is because I don't actually feel like the Bucks and Celtics should fear any other team in the conference. But the Heat are just that one, like, they're the ultimate banana peel for both these franchises. It's happened to both of them. They both slipped up on this team. So I feel like they should still be in, in, a, in a tier of their own. Because for me, in the B tier, I have second-round ceiling, and I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks, and the Philadelphia 76ers. One of these three teams has got to prove to me that they can actually get to more than just one round.
2: Yeah, and I would say out of those three, I mean, obviously the Sixers have the hardened and drama hanging over them, and the Cavs, you know, the backcourt, the defensive challenges and stuff, and, and mm. Mobley's offensive challenges, but the one team out of that three that I think is kind of the pretender among them is the Knicks. Well, oh. and I actually wrote about this in, in pieces we've got going up with the score this week about the okay. tiers of contenders, and I, I had the write-up on the Knicks, and one of the things I said is the only reason I was even putting them in this contending tier write-up we're doing is simply out of respect for the team that eliminated Cleveland just six months ago. Because if we're putting Cleveland in here and New York literally just beat them in the playoffs and are returning basically the yeah. exact same team from that yeah. season, plus Dante, even I was like, I'll at least give them that respect of putting them here. But if you actually look at it, like you really have to squint to even call this team a fringe contender. I maintain this team has no chance of winning at the highest level if they're employing both of Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Like you just can't be have... $54 million a year committed to two somewhat inefficient, you know, not really postseason-proof yeah. players. Um, and also, like, everyone talks about, well, the, the trump card they have, the wild card they have is all these assets, right? And, like, maybe they can swing that trade that finally gets the Knicks over the hump. Yeah, they have a lot of extra first-rounders. They, I think they have three or four extra ones in the next three years. But they're all pretty protected. Mm-hmm. Like, they're top nine protected, top ten protected. Their best one is if... If Milwaukee's pick in 2025 ends up 5th to 30th, the Knicks get it. If it's top four, the uh, Pelicans get it. Now, it's going right. to end up 5th to 30th because Giannis and Dame are still under contract then. But it's going to end up closer to 30th. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Knicks have a lot of extra first-rounders. But how much are a bunch of first-rounders that are going to end up in the teens or end up converting to second-rounders really moving the needle? Like, if the type of player who's good enough... To actually get this Knicks team over the hump becomes yeah, yeah. available in you the trade be market. Than what they have. Guess what? Yeah, he yeah. he's not getting traded for the Knicks package because the Thunder can best it, the Jazz can best it, the Nets can best it, right. the Spurs can best it.
4: But yep. are those teams going to be motivated to make that kind of a trade?
0: As, I think the Thunder yeah. would be. Well, I mean, I think one thing with Tom Thibodeau teams is he gets them to play at such a high gear, uh high level of intensity, high minutes. Obviously, for the main players, he's gotten better on that throughout the years, but he still is what he is. Uh, and he does such great detail and preparation that he has his team maxed out in the regular season. Unfortunately, I never feel like Tom's teams have, like, another gear in the playoffs. And I didn't really feel like that was true for the Knicks. Even round one was a lot of offensive rebounding, which is cool, which is great. The lights were bright and expected all that kind of stuff. But just the talent level, I just don't think is, it justifies beyond that. I guess the only one here is the Sixers. I mean, anyone see the Sixers making the conference final this year?
4: on yeah. I mean, not... <laughs> Well, what are the Sixers right now? You know, like, they, like what are they? What is James Harden getting? Tra- like, you know, what does the team look like come playoff time? That's, yeah. I, I, can't, yeah. I can't really say.
2: Even if they had James Harden right now, uh-huh. and if someone could promise you he would not be disgruntled, which obviously is not the case. Yeah. Mm. But let's live in a fantasy land.
4: Right. Be properly gruntled.
2: Right. <laughs> He'd still wouldn't lift this team above the Bucks. Like, they would still need to catch a break with one, either, like, the way the seedings matchup work or one of Boston-Milwaukee falling apart or an yeah. injury. Like, they, even if Harden was there and Philly played to the best of their abilities, they are still, at best, the third-best team in right. the conference.
4: Can I, can I make a case for one of these teams maybe having a path to the conference finals? Cleveland? What? If the, listen, if the Cavs can get the one seed, which I think is not okay. at all a... a outlandish proposition. They had the number one defense in the league last year. That's number one goes defense, a long way for number a two net rating, Yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, point differential of a 55-win team. Hmm. And okay. this is a team, like, you look across the landscape of the Eastern Conference, this is the team that you can see making a big jump based on internal improvement alone. Like, okay. no team in the conference has the same kind of collection of young talent. Talking like, Darius Garland is 23 and one of the best shooters and pick and roll playmakers in the league already. Okay, Evan Mobley is 22, and in his second season, was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. Mm. Like, but not box out Mitchell Robinson to save his life, though. Correct. And like, they have limiting factors, just yeah. like I think pretty much every team in the conference does. Okay. Like, they're not on the level of the Bucks or Celtics, but I think in the regular season, yeah, if you're talking about continuity, like. A, a team that because of their youth is maybe a little bit less likely to take an injury that's gonna sure, blow yeah. them off course. Like I think there's a decent chance. Yeah, maybe they get to like fifty seven wins, maybe that's enough for them to get the one seed, and then maybe the Bucks and Celtics are playing in the second round and mm. the Cavs find themselves in the conference finals. Like, you know what the one seed gets you in the Eastern Conference?
2: A matchup with the Miami <laughs> <and new> culture <laughs> yeah. in the first sale, <laughs> oh, and, and come April, I'll be back in. Come, come, come April, I'll mind. be back in. I'll slick the hair like Riley. <laughs>
0: uh yeah no actually I, I like that actually that's a that's a that's a clever one i, I like that because i feel like everyone is very much down on the Cavs i mean look they play poorly in the first round it was yeah. i remember you and i were uh we were in the pub together watching this game you know at the doc ellis so, and we we're like wow the invite, and they got yeah. punked man they got absolutely <laughs> I punked. didn't even invite wolf but he just happened to be there yeah was...
4: <laughs>
0: shouts was... to uh shouts to the doc
4: ellis <laughs> um but uh yeah, what are you saying? I've always been an East Ender. I guess that's true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. They got punked. They got uh, punked. And, I, you know, recency bias is a hell of a drug. So I think, and I think there are genuine reasons to come away from that series being like, oh, maybe this team is fatally flawed Okay. because it's a team built around two small guards and two non-spacing bigs and, you know, at least last season they didn't. I mean, even even so this season, like, they don't have any two-way wings to kind of bridge that mm. divide. Yeah, this this is giving me like, Dwayne Casey Raptor vibes. Man, you know what? <laughs> they, they are like an OG and Ananobi away from, like, being a legit championship contender, uh, right? It t- turned out that Raptor team was a Kawhi Leonard away yeah. for a championship. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Max Struess is, like, not exactly that guy. Oh, no. But, no, I'm – right. Look. This why, I'm starting to see no, why it's a second-round sealer. he, he, second he, round he some yeah. of their needs if for you, sure. If you look yeah. at, at, like, a, a lot like of the DeMari reasons – Carroll the Rams? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I mean, this – look, Strews shot – like, he didn't even have a good shooting season last year, Yeah, yeah, year, right? but he was – But a, he's a he good shot, shooter. Like, he shot, like, 35%. And it doesn't matter because defenses respect the hell out of yes, him, and he can of shoot off a movement. Yeah. And so much of what decimated the Cavs' offense in the playoffs last year was, like, okay, yeah, you want to run pick and roll, Garland or Mitchell's getting blitzed, and then there's no space for any of their bigs to roll into because whoever's guarding Isaac Okoro or whoever else is playing on the wing for them basically is just pulling all the way over. And I don't – you know, those bigs did not do a good job of making decisions on the short roll. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like a lot of the time there's no easy decision to make because the guy you, who, who's open in those four-on-three situations is, you know, Isaac Okoro. Right. So it's – the defense can treat it more like a three-on-three three than a three-on-four – Struce there, it's like a completely different story. And I think for Mobley, like, we talk about his offensive limitations, but, and I'm sure we'll get into talking about this with the Raptors too and, like, Scotty Barnes. Like, these guys who, like, he has skills that I think were a little bit dormant last year because of the lack of movement shooting threats on the wing where, like, if you want to unleash him a little bit as, like, a DHO hub, somebody who can do some more creative things with the ball in his hands, having more shooting around you can yeah, really sure. help unlock that. So I,
0: I do wonder if you need a more creative coach to unlock that, too. You know? I, 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 like it's, that's something against JB. I feel like he did a great job with the, the team the last couple of years. He's really allowed them to grow to this point. But sometimes, you know, to continue the Raptors analogy, sometimes you need your Nick Nurse to come in and, and put the little finishing touches in terms of you have an identity already, but here's this, like, Here's this change-up look that you have, and it changes all of a sudden yeah.
2: what you have. And a fresh, just a fresh set of eyes, too. Although, yeah, I guess yeah, in the case true. of Nurse, it wasn't even a fresh set of eyes because he was on ah, the bench with Casey. But yeah, that's what that's fresh set of ideas and thinking. That's right. That's what the fresh, scissors are also. Fresh knife in the back. Yeah. Oh, wow, now. Come <laughs> wow, on, come on. Is, I mean. Are you the one that's been running that burner account that's been protecting <laughs> Dwayne Casey for the last five years? <laughs>
0: I think Dwayne was. Uh, Anyway, the next tier is uh, first-round ceiling following second-round ceiling. This is where I actually expect some real, like, disagreement because I think for most of us, we kind of have the top mostly the same. But for me, I only have three teams in the first-round ceiling in the sense that I think these teams all expect to make the playoffs but don't expect to go any further than the first round. Um, I have the Atlanta Hawks. I have the Indiana Pacers, who I really, really enjoy watching. Uh, and their up-tempo two-point guards, sometimes three-point guards uh, offenses which are really fun and then I have the Toronto Raptors because I actually genuinely believe that the Raptors have this kind of ability to make the playoffs probably not win around but you know this is the three teams I have I guess I what I'm excluding are the Chicago Bulls the Brooklyn Nets and the Orlando Magic but Hawks Pacers Raptors for first round ceiling
2: yeah I think that makes sense I mean Wolf on knows I Well, it used to be a joke that I used to tease Wolf on for being like the Pacers ambassador on Pound the Rock. But I, yeah. I think I've taken up that that torch now because I just love Tyrese Halliburton, always have. Yeah. I hated on the Kings trading for Sabonis at the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. he worked out well for them last so year we're, because, we're, because I love Halliburton so much and believe in his potential and his ceiling. And you saw some of that last year. Um, I, I think his presence gives the Pacers a chance to be pretty good. I love them bringing in Bruce Brown. Uh, we talked about this in the summer about how like you could look at what they paid Bruce Brown and call it an overpay, but for a team that yeah. had a bunch of money to spend, wasn't going to spend it elsewhere, isn't is, a free agent destination, it's and, and it's, it's not Indiana a crazy people. long-term contract, yeah. that's actually how those teams should be spending their money. Yeah, is yeah. bringing in guys that help their young teams aren't long-term money, and sure, it's an overpay. Who cares? Like, the yeah. next two years, they weren't – they're never going to be a free agent destination anyway. It's not like they would have used that on someone else. Anyway, I like the Pacers, so I like that. I agree with you on the Raptors in that they're – They're better than what they showed last year. I know Blake has talked about it as well. Like, the Pythagorean wins is Mm. 45. Even if you go in the middle and it's like 43, I still think they're a slightly above 500 team on average. And I think that gets you, at the very least, into the play and maybe knocking on the door of that six seed, but probably not winning a round. And and you said the Hawks, too. The Hawks, I, I have a hard time believing in them, but I also think a full season with Quinn Snyder... Um, they do have, you know, in Trey just and Dejounte, yeah, that top end talent. Yeah. Maybe things are less muddled now with with John Collins out of there. Um, yeah, they, they definitely go into it thinking they're one of those teams. Right, right. I'm just not sold on them, but I think that's the that's that kind of trio of teams with the Pacers, Raps, and Hawks. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Hawks are like easily at the top
4: of that tier, okay. and possibly even butting up against the the Knicks Heat. You love Trey, though. Team. I think I think that's your confidence in Trey. I don't love Trey. I don't even oh, okay. particularly like him as a player, but like <laughs> he, like the I'll the know, guy man. the guy is like
0: you you called him the best
4: passer in basketball. No, well, no, he's not he's not on Jokic's level, but he's okay, like right. he might be the second best passer in basketball. Okay, <laughs> wow. uh, but I would never no, I would never Okay. Like I, yeah, look, I I I'm not like the biggest fan of Trey. He has obvious limitations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he is, like, an elite offense almost unto himself. Yes. And I think the the thing with the Hawks, like, first of all, I do think that, that Quinn Snyder is going to help. And even, like, he changed very little when he got there last year, which is understandable because he yeah. came in with, like, 20 games left in the regular season. But even then, like, while making these very slight tweaks, it's like, you saw their shot profile really start to change, like, fewer mid-range jumpers, more corner threes, more shots at the rim. And just, like... I think philosophically, I mean, I said this to Cash at the time that they that they hired him. It's like, okay, if if a coach as pedigreed as Quinn Snyder, who has like all these like really well established offensive principles, cannot get buy-in from Trey Young in terms of just like right, he might making himself some kind of a weapon off the ball, then it's probably just never gonna happen for him. Yeah. And so maybe that's what like maybe it won't. Maybe Trey will clash with yet another coach. And then I will be all the way out on Trey Young, but I think this is like the right kind of marriage of like coaching philosophy and player to 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 get the best out of Trey. I think. Yeah. Um. I, there needs to be like more cooperation between him and Dejounte, like less my turn, your turn, more of like them playing together, interacting, but that requires Trey like you're mentioning.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
4: Um. But I also think they have the opportunity to get maybe like a couple significant leaps from their younger guys like A.J. Griffin, Inyeka Kongwu, Jalen Johnson's a Jalen enough, Johnson a athlete. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, like, sneaky, a, a lot of, like, really interesting yeah, guys they, on the wing. they got a
0: Pascal Siakam
4: trade package ready
0: to lift them yeah. to yeah. second-round yeah. ceiling. Exactly. No, seriously. That's, that's, that's what I guess they're waiting on. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Atlanta. I like a lot of their talent. I like Indiana's talent as well. I'm so jealous when I watch Indiana. They play at this, like, crazy fast pace, which you're able to do when you have so many guards, so yeah. many three-point shooters. And I mean, like vision six, five, right? It's they're Vision like, bizarre Raptors. And every time they played last year, the, the Raptors had no idea how to handle Indiana. They would always be like, oh, we're winning. We're up. And then boom, in the end, they would just lose and collapse because they didn't have that kind of offensive uh, push. Having said that though, I think, yeah, the, the, I think Toronto obviously underperformed last year. I love the idea of Pythagorean uh, wins. It does see, give me this image of Blake pulling out a, you know, right angle triangle <laughs> yeah. and just being like, you know what, actually I, I, I figured out it's 45 for the Raptors last year. Um, the next tier I have is just – just I just have maybe with a question mark, but Chicago, Brooklyn, uh, Orlando. I mean, and in, in that group, if there's one that could potentially jump into the first-round ceiling. I, Orlando. Orlando. They had a yeah, great, like, 20-game stretch I, last year. It was phenomenal.
2: I'd also say I'd put Chicago at the bottom of that tier, and maybe people are shocked to hear that, but I've got them, I guess, 12th in the East. And the, the reason is why is I have them in the same tier as you with okay. the Nets and the Magic. But I feel like when teams are kind of equal like that, but – Two of them are these kind of younger, up-and-coming teams with belief and with, I guess, more pride in playing for even the play-in, whereas the Bulls are like this veteran team. DeMar's in a contract year. Mm. If they're hovering around the 11-10 seed, there's less motivation there. Maybe a trade happens. It's sh- there's like a different spirit yeah. and vibe around them. So I'm like, nah, they'll, they'll be the ones that fall off out of the three. Brooklyn Their young you know, guys or- also just don't move
0: me, man. I know. I know. Even just watching the preseason game last time, I'm like, Pat Williams. I'm like, all right, 4-13. They're, like- they're
2: not very good. Yeah, Brooklyn and Orlando. There's promise there. Orlando had moments of brilliance last year. Remember they had that crazy run. I mean, they beat the the Raptors, but they beat the Celtics in that run. There was like five or six wins in a row Mm -hmm. after a terrible start. Like there is promise there. They're athletic. They're young. I think Brooklyn's better than them right now. I think Mikel Bridges, out of those two teams, is the best player right now. And again, one of the like everyone talks about. Oh, the Knicks having this, you know, the assets to potentially land a big fish. The Nets, in my opinion, have better trade capital. Than right. the Knicks, and I don't even think are that far off from them. Do they do they have better trade capital outside of Mikael Bridges though? Like that. Look at some of the picks they recouped in trading, yeah. the guy like the guys they did. But that, that's just replacing their own picks that fair, were out but, the door. They but don't but have surplus. To me, picks. those picks are more valuable than these Knicks picks that are like all going to end up in the teens, if not be like second rounders. Yeah. And I, I, I but either way, yeah. the reason I'm not I I can't really buy too much into those teams is because as much as promising as they are, like it's very tempting in the preseason to look at these like promising young yeah, teams yeah. like oh this team can make a leap but then when you really sit down and look at it and you have right. to ask yourself okay but who are they better than yeah, it's hard to come up right. with teams they're better than like outside of the bottom five like it's hard to come up with one of these teams being higher than 10th
0: well
4: franz was moving and moving me in the uh the world cup
2: he moved me last season
4: H- him yeah. and paolo i just think are like stars in the making yeah for, sure, so for sure maybe that's not going to happen this season but I could see them kind of arriving a little bit ahead of schedule. Mm. Like I, okay. I, the big problem with them is they just don't have enough shooting, right? Like that's what's going to hold them but back. The problem with them is that they're the Orlando Magic, and nobody cares about them even in Orlando. Yes. Well, nevertheless. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, basketball. Yeah. No, but like I, I think they they have a chance to be like really, really good defensively. Yeah, I agree. And right. they they have these two ginormous wing creators who can do all kinds of things with the ball in their hands as, I mean, in Franz's case, as a pick-and-roll operator, as a yep. shooter, as playmaker. Isaac's Paolo's back. case is just like, yeah, Isaac's back.
2: <laughs> just, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, thought that, it was a jo- I thought that was a joke when you said uh, it to
0: I, 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 I tuned into some preseason. And he was blocking a lot of shots, you know?
4: Yeah, he's an unbelievable defender. But Not I just mean, the, the the other shots that he was blocking. Nice. <laughs> Sorry. Um, wow. Yeah, there
0: you go. <laughs> it, it landed. There you go. It landed. Um, who's going to be their point guard? Last question before we go to break. Orlando,
4: because I mean, right. whatever. Fultz. Uh, I t- Fultz. Yeah, yeah, it's Fultz. gotta be Fultz. Okay,
2: all right. Now that's Wolfon's favorite. You said Trey Young is someone he loves. Markel Fultz is mm. who Wolfon really loves.
4: He loves Still a little keeping the range. candle
2: burning, man. You like
4: a little Hezzy Jimbo? Yeah, it was nice.
0: Yeah, it was a nice one. Um, the last one I had was just Tank you next, and uh, it was just Detroit Pistons, Charlotte Hornets, and uh, the Washington Wizards. But uh, we run out of time for those, so we're gonna take that quick break. I've been your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
2: Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever
3: you get your podcasts.
0: Unbelievable music choice by Derek. Thankfully, it's not going to make it into the podcast. I'll explain it to you guys afterwards. All right, for the final segment, uh, still here with Cash and Wolf on from The Score, from Pound the Rock. Subscribe. Uh, to the pod but yeah the most recent episode they uh, had a discussion about players who could sort of make or break uh this upcoming nba season and, and make or break in different degrees you know like an austin reese you know making or breaking the nba season would be like he continues his ascension and the lakers win a championship jordan Poole, you know making or breaking that's a nice redemption story it's, for him
2: as and, i said on the podcast it's the difference between the wizards winning 25 and 28 games
0: yeah, which uh, once again, no one will care about that. But uh, you know, I'll, I'm happy for Pool at least. Uh, it seems like he's already made friends with Kyle Guzma. Yeah. They're, they're they're very spiritually aligned. I feel like those two yeah. players They're uh, both very
2: punchable in Draymond's eyes. Yeah, I guess I guess that
0: is true. Um, just two Michigan guys, uh, Michigan guys too, I believe. Um, but the other players you listed: Chris Paul, uh, Wemby, Chet, um, Evan Mobley, and Jaden McDaniels. And then you guys kind of ran out of time for scotty barnes so i feel like i'm gonna give you guys the space because i want to talk about make or break players specifically for the toronto Raptors season and uh yeah wolf you already alluded to this earlier but uh
4: you know tell us why scotty can make or break this season for us well i mean i think he is obviously their biggest and best chance at upward mobility mm, right okay. like where else are you looking for that right. i think you could say if Pascal is still on the team by season's end, then he will still almost certainly be the team's best player. And he can probably still get, like, a, like a little bit better or at least You've seen fine. these above-the-break threes, man? Come on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, let's... I mean, that would actually be a, a big improvement. <laughs> yeah, Man, do you remember, like, the start of the 2019-20 yeah, season yeah. when he was just bombing pull-ups from above the break? Yeah, what like, happened to that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think the bubble
0: made it so difficult for him to be like, yeah, I'm not trusting my three ever again after
4: that whole bubble experience. Um, So, But I think, yeah, like, you can maybe see him finding different avenues to, like, more success, just, like, bumping up the scoring efficiency, maybe hitting more of those above the break threes, maybe defending with a little bit more consistency than we've Mm -hmm. seen in the last couple years. But, like, he pretty much is who he is at this point, whereas the future for Scotty is uncertain, right? It's wide open. And I think the direction that his development path takes him is also, like, the direction that, the, like... Like, th- that's what's going to define this era of Raptors basketball, basically. I agree. Is, yeah. is where Scotty's development path takes him. And that's starting right now. And the team... I wouldn't say the team is necessarily built around him. Like, I don't think if you were building a team around Scotty Barnes to, like, optimize his strengths and maybe try to mask some of his weaknesses, I'm not sure this is exactly the team that you would build. Okay. But I think in terms of the messaging, everything that's been said by the front office and the coaching staff, they are sort of gearing more of this to him. They want him right. to orchestrate more of the offense and for the ball to be in his hands more often. Like, they see him as being the future. And so, yeah, man, let's see it. Cause yeah. Last season was a big disappointment. And I think that's okay. It was his second year in the league. He was 21 years old. Like, that happens. Doesn't yeah. have to mean that, you know, I say this to Cash all the time. Development's not linear, right? Like, mm, doesn't mean... That another he, Pythagorean theorem. There basketball you go. Concept. Um, but, like, w- specifically in terms of, like, the the offensive stuff in the half court, it was really bad. He was... <laughs> Like no, he was nineteenth uh, percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, thirty first percentile as an isolation scorer, thirty third percentile in post ups. Even in transition, he was twenty fifth percentile as a transition scorer. That's a scorer. surprising. Yeah. And it nets out to him having a fifty two point four percent true shooting when the league average was fifty eight percent. Like, yeah. it was, it was tough. Um, and so, what are we looking to see from him this year? Right. It's like first of all, when. People talk about the idea of Scotty as the point guard. Another thing I've said to Cash is, like, in transition, absolutely he can be a point guard. I think that's where it should stop for the most part, and that doesn't mean he can't be, like, a really effective playmaker mm-hmm. in the half court, but that, that's a little bit different than, like, being the guy who's organizing the offense, who's running pick and roll. Like, in order for him to be doing that at higher volume, it's like, he's got to tighten up the handle. we got to see him turning the corner rather than going sideways when he's coming off the screens. Like um, having a workable pull-up jumper probably at some point or at least being able, like if guys are going under when you're running pick and roll, is your handle good enough so that you can kind of like get a rescreen and work your way to the basket that way? and Or or you're just like exploding so fast that you beat the guy to the spot who's going under the screen. Like this is all stuff that we haven't really seen from him to this point. And, that, you know, it's stuff that could conceivably become part of his game. But, like, that's, that's what's going to, in a lot of ways, make or break, at least on the offensive side of the ball, what the Raptors can do this year. I
0: think an optimistic view, and where I would push back, is just, like, we see it more in flashes, but not in a consistent overall basis. So when you, especially if you look at last year's numbers, like, definitely they don't, you know, jump off the page. Um, but I, I do think the Raptors are really betting on the same player in roughly the same team but being more empowered. And, like, I know that's not as, like, you know, analytically uh, grounded as um, you know, where you know, each play grades out in sense of percentile and all that kind of stuff. But I think anyone in any workplace can relate to the idea that if you are really empowered and you're allowed to sort of, like, you know, and you're encouraged to sort of explore, I think you do get more out of any employee in that context. I don't think basketball, even as unique as it is, um, is different in that context. And I think that that's what the organization has done. You know what I mean? And I think even in preseason, I mean, look, it might be just because he had a great game last night too, but we see Scotty have plenty of great games. And I know he's been coming up in big moments as well. I think yeah. what you're looking to see is more consistency across across the board. And no matter what it is, um, even if it is mistakes, I would like to see aggressive mistakes rather than sort of well for me, my bigger issue last year was just there were too many moments where he faded out. Yeah. Yeah. And he looks great. I know
4: you talk you probably want to talk about his conditioning. His conditioning <laughs> no, last night. He no, was great. It was yeah, awesome, no, man. But... And that's a big part of him being a point guard oh, yeah, in transition. Yeah. Just yeah. be in pr- transition as often as you can, and then
2: you can yeah. be a point guard that much more more often, right? So Yeah, I, I think it's a lot. Of, I think he's been empowered. I think he is going to be in better shape. I think he's going to be more focused than he was at the start of last year. And having seen what last year was, and now knowing what he has to do to prepare himself physically and mentally you know, after his rookie season, yeah. um, I think all of those things come into... Um, into the mix here, and I think that organizationally, like his development is—it's you know I'm not breaking news by saying organizationally like no. Scotty's development is the big thing, but even just this year, like the whole, in professional sports, organizations are selling hope, right? Like yeah, they're selling wins and all, like and all that, mm-hmm. but they're an entertainment, but they're selling hope to the fans too along this competitive cycle. And Scotty's development this season is going to be a big factor in whether fans and the public see this team. As this confusing roster, kind of stuck in no man's land, right. or a promising team on the rise, mm-hmm. and for the organization, that's very big in right. trying to sell the hope.
0: It's like to- that meme when the guy puts a toothpick in his mouth; <laughs> he's a different guy, you know. It really no, but honestly, like it is a matter of perspective. Scotty is the toothpick in this analogy, or yeah. I think Scotty's the in- guy. <laughs> so,
2: so who's the to- what's the toothpick? He's dark- the toothpick Darko. in the mouth yeah. of the Raptors. Or whatever.
4: We don't have to take this any further. <laughs> but uh, yo, know, to your point about the game that you had last night, though, yeah. A lot of scoring he was doing in the half court was as a role man, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was super interesting. Like, I think that's a that's a look the Raptors should honestly
0: uh, go to in yeah. more spurts, not to start games because obviously I have Yach, but exactly. Scotty as a backup center is a much better option than anybody else they could put at backup center, and it frees him up to do a lot of playmaking. Like we saw, like it's not just the fact that he scored on the roll, but he popped out for three a couple of times. Uh, he was able to set up uh, other players and teammates. He was able to just connect the play. You know, like watching Scotty and how often he was on the ball yesterday. It looked like John Luca had to score uh, FC. You know, what I mean, wow. he was our midfielder. He was a midfielder. So, I mean, obviously that's a big swing factor. Is there is there another player for you guys that's a big swing player in terms of what's going to make or break this Raptors season?
2: Yeah, just look at Wolf Wolfon's list and right. try to come up with someone that's not on it. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go with Jakob Purtle. Oh, um, uh, that's
0: my pick. Okay, nice, nice. Because
2: I I think especially I I know we're talking a little bit about last year, but if going into last season and the need for a center and the way last season played out and the glaring need for a center, a guy who does true big man things, true seven footer things carry that over to this season. I just think his presence is a huge swing factor and what he can give them. If he can give them what he gave them, you know, to close last season, great, that raises this team's floor yes. big time compared to what it was going it into even last, did year. last year. Yes. It just and wasn't enough and it came too late. Right. And, but, and yeah. also, and I know Nurse isn't here anymore, so you can say this also is more about a stylistic change than just Pertle being there, but still, regardless of who's the coach, Pertle, a legit rim protector being there, frees them up to not have to play as aggressively as they did on the ball last season. Again, I know they'll also probably would have done less of that anyway because of Darko versus Nurse, but Purtle's presence helps allow that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, if you've listened to Darko speak about how he wants to use Yak offensively more yeah. as a playmaker from the elbows, something that I think he's very capable of doing, he showed it before, he's a smart, willing passer yeah. with really good vision. I think that could be a big swing factor for their offense because – The shooting isn't there still on this team. We know that. The half-court creation issues are still going to be there. We know that. This team is going to have to continue to find creative ways to manufacture points and good looks. And I think exploring Jakob's playmaking from the elbows is going to be a big part of that. So for that reason, for those reasons, I think he's going to be a big swing factor on both ends. Yeah, I mean...
0: I might be the only person ever to say this, but I I wish there were more preseason games because I think we just needed more of a contrast, right? Like, I thought in the Kings game, Yak did such a good job of facilitating ball movement, his screening, his passing, um, even just sort of the way he was placing himself on the floor just opened up a lot of opportunities for other guys to score. And then the last two games, I mean, whatever, one was against that Australian team, and then this one last night... um, I mean, like they—I would say they were more impressive on defense than they were on offense, um, and a lot of that was just—it didn't really look as functional. That that point five offense looked more like a point five points per play offense without Yakub in there. Because yeah. no, seriously, they, it just—they weren't able to. Like there were so many times, like even throwing the ball to Thad Young, they, he just had a whole bunch of turnovers where Pascal was trying to throw it to him. They miscommunicate him trying to throw it to OG. They miscommunicate yeah. him throwing to Malachi. They miscommunicate. That just doesn't happen with, with with Yak in there. And I feel like the screening and everything is so important. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, weirdly th- enough, he's he's kind of irreplaceable because, again, the Raptors don't really have other centers on the roster, especially with his skill set.
2: Yeah, and to that point, though, I guess uh, the good news is Thad and Malachi probably aren't in the 10-man rotation, right? I, Come, yeah. I don't know. That was a rough one for Thad last night.
4: Yeah,
0: it was, it was a uh, rough on one. On both ends. Yeah. No, no, I mean, defensively, it was, my goodness. Um, my goodness. Yeah. Guards
4: <laughs> turning downhill,
0: bigs getting slips to yeah, the basket. Yeah, Thad, Thad and Draft
2: was, yeah.
0: It don't matter what position it is, all
4: right, like, um, but I don't think, so like in the spirit of swing players, for me, I don't feel like Pertle fits into that just because I feel like he's just good. His floor and his ceiling are like more just like one slab of concrete, yeah. basically but his
2: presence <laughs> the difference between his he's presence, and the- but You're he is me. present. He's so like
4: he's, he's already here right. anyway. Well, I, I like to make a case for Gary Trent. That's my third. That's my third pick. Perfect. Um, Let's go. Just because I mean, they need his shooting so badly. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, not just accuracy, but volume. Why? Right. Like yeah. they lose Fred, who was their highest volume three point shooter mm-hmm. last year. Gary is the guy I think who's going to have to take a lot of those attempts. And they just badly need the spacing that he provides, which is why I think he will probably ultimately find himself in the starting lineup. And, you know, look, uh, in terms of him becoming more multidimensional, that would be great to see. Yeah. And there were definitely positive signs to that effect. I was going to say. I mean, that last game, like, couple, like, Man, that live Actual that dimes. that live dribble pocket pass that he made to Scotty mm. on the roll. I mean, it was it was nice to see. And then in terms of like the scoring, even last year we saw forty eight percent from floater range. Like okay. that was that's like borderline elite. He shot almost
2: fifty percent inside the arc in general last
4: year. Yeah, time. it was his highest ever uh, mm. two point percentage, his highest free throw attempt rate, uh, highest finishing percentage at the rim. Like, all these positive indicators. Even if it was, like, all a little bit incremental. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was nice. But the shooting is by far the most important I agree,
0: yeah. And And he's the closest thing the Raptors have to a movement shooter who's ready to contribute right now. Grady will be that in the future. He might even be that by season's end. But Gary's the one who's ready
4: to And, like, the most important part of that is, you've talked about this, about how this offense is going to have to be more oriented around, like, creating advantages through off-ball movement, dribble handoffs and things like that because of the sort of dearth of, like, high-end ball handling creation, right? Yeah. Like, that's not where it's going to come from. So, if you're thinking about this being maybe more of, like, a dribble handoff-oriented offense, well, who's, like, the one guy on the team that can actually be a threat coming off of those DHOs? It's Gary. So, it's, like, his importance, like, the, like not just being able to hit those shots, mm. but presenting the threat that, f- like, if you're the dribble handoff trigger man, like, whether it's Jacob, whether it's Scotty, like, you need a guy that the defense is going to react to. Yeah. Right. So if Gary is just like a, like if he's presenting that threat, if he's, if he has a really good shooting season, I think that can completely transform their offense. And then it's like, okay, if you want to find like more opportunities for Scotty to be a role man, and it doesn't have like necessarily have to come and pick and roll. Like you can create those opportunities mm-hmm. and dribble handoff. And you find opportunities where like if the defense is overplaying it, if somebody's top locking Gary, like he can cut back door. And, you create those keeper opportunities, right? If, like, the screen defender tries to jump it. All these different things where it's not just for for Gary himself. It's, like, he is, like, going to be essential to making life easier for everybody else on offense. And so I think that's a huge swing factor. Like, how well he shoots the ball, like, how well he's integrated into the offense and just, like, his off-ball movement and gravity in general. That's, like, everything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I know, like, the self-creation part of it doesn't necessarily... Um, fit with the 0.5 offense that Darko wants run. But having a guy who can create his own shot and can make tough shots is still paramount. I don't care what kind of offense yeah, you're running. Because sometimes you get stuck in the mud. And if you are talking about potentially making the playoffs, you need guys that can create their own shot, make tough shots, get to their spots. Gary can do that in ways pretty much no one else on this roster can. And that's going to be huge for this team. Yeah. yeah. Well it's also like a little bit of a scary proposition having for, that much no, of your season 100%, riding on Gary. You don't Trent Jr. you don't want Gary Trent Jr. to be your best self creator. Yeah. But he is probably their not probably he's their best self creating shooter. I guess you could say Pascal's yeah, their Pascal. best self creator. But if you're talking about strictly as a shooter, mm-hmm. not overall self creating offense, it's Gary. I yeah. agreed with you that it's not great, but that's the situation they're in. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it does kind of open up another conversation I'd like to have about working out the extension for Gary if he's this important. But well, we've run out of time for today, at least. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. And subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Blake Murphy, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Jessica Charles, Joe Wolfon, our board producer Derek Randall and Jennifer Olnick, David Sis, and Jeremy Manitav for helping behind the scenes. Yeah, we've got a squad now. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow.